Welcome to the Kintsugi Heroes podcast, where we share inspirational stories of everyday people going through different challenges and how they overcome them. Please be aware that the story you're about to hear may have moments of deeply felt emotions and personal experiences. If anything you hear has a triggering effect, please reach out to someone who can help keep you safe. If you love this conversation, we'd love you to like and share it with your friends so we can continue to share more inspiration and hope to as many people as possible. Now, listen up for our next hero story. Today's episode is with the lovely Luke Marshall. This was a very deep conversation, I guess. It was vulnerable, it was raw, and he shared a lot of things that I'm sure at one point, well, for a long time, would have been quite difficult to share. He talks of the early years of that caused the trauma, and it all stemmed from trauma that saw him go through a lot of issues and challenges through as an adult, you know, perfectionism, drug and alcohol abuse, mental illness. He, he had a very painful run-in with the law that he, he talks about and open, openly talks about and hospitalisation. It's been a challenging journey for him and yet he's just got the most beautiful smile. He radiates the joy and gratitude of a life that he's created. Today, he's he's sober, two and a half years of sobriety. He's got a successful career and, you know, he supports others. He's a mental health advocate and a father-to-be. So at the time of this publishing, he most likely would will be a father. It was a wonderful story. I am really grateful to Luke for sharing so openly as he did. And I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. It's Luke Marshall. Hello, here we are. Welcome, Luke, to Kintsugi Heroes. It's so lovely to have you here. Hey, Evelyn. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thanks. You're welcome. And this this is obviously a conversation, but it's really about you and your story. And first of all, I just want to say thank you for coming. Thank you for being willing and open to sharing your story it, it takes an amount of bravery and courage to do that and uh, I just so I just want to honor you for doing that first up thanks very much that's kind of you to say you're welcome well let's get started uh, where, take us back where does your story begin if you take us back to the beginning tell me about the context what was going on for you in life at the beginning and uh, yeah then what happened yeah I I think um the best way for me to answer this and start is um, at age 20, I was uh, on to my second degree. I'd relocated interstate from Victoria um, to Western Australia to study um, postgraduate law. And um, the world was my oyster. I was very excited uh, to sort of begin life as an adult. And uh, I'd say... Um, the best laid plans, uh, didn't work at all. Um, in fact, uh, it was a horrific, terrifying experience uh, about eight to 12 weeks later. And, um, my study suffered completely. Um, uh, I ended up, uh, lapsing, uh, from, uh, mania, uh, where I couldn't sleep and was getting progressively 
more and more excitable uh, to a fault um, into something known as psychosis. And, um, you know, it was on a road trip with friends um, up the West Australian coast, drinking, partying, uh, not much sleep and, and lost touch with reality, unfortunately. And um, with that experience came complete confusion, uh, disarray and saw me um, strip naked and, and break into a house um, and looking for my ex-girlfriend. Uh, no surprises there. She wasn't in that home. And unfortunately, it was a um, poor elderly uh, person um, that met me with shock and, and surprise. And then, you know, recovering from that experience was intense. Uh, I was arrested, um, you know, sent into a forensic hospital and was there for three months as I was very unwell and um, you know, later diagnosed with bipolar. Uh, and psychosis. And so that was the adversity that was most obvious um, at time. I think there was some build-up to that um, from early childhood. And then recovering from that uh, wasn't a straightforward recovery either. I want to ask you, was there any signs before that event of breaking into the house of the psychosis? Like, did you have any conscious awareness of where you were headed or why? It's a good question. And I think um, 20 years ago, uh, awareness of mental health was a lot less. It certainly was for me. Um, I grew up in a regional town. And so being away from sort of certain cues um, made it really hard to reality check and, and sense check what was going on. In some ways, it was the perfect storm. I'd relocated from my um, friends and family to another state. I was living on campus in a residence with, with new people um, and things I'm very aware of looking at or looking out for now, like sleeplessness and, and sort of hyperactivity, I just didn't know back then. And so um, with the benefit of hindsight, that the cues and tells were there, but in sort of measuring the aftermath, it was actually pretty sudden because um, awareness of sort of what to look for in the lead up to such an event was really low and um, it was a pretty sudden departure from reality, if I'm honest, which um, we could only sort of re-piece and, and sort of re-look at after um, a bit more trauma work and sort of understanding of what happened. And that trauma work, um, you know, led me to even a few years ago, um, we were still putting the pieces together to sort of figure out what happened and and how uh, I can live better. Yeah, it's a, it's certainly a journey, isn't it? It's not it's not like a click of the fingers or take a pill or you know do this one step and you'll be you'll be fine. With the event, uh, the event you had, you're out with your friends drinking, and then you ended up at this elderly person's house. Can you take me through that? Were you on your own? Was it just you going to the house? How did that person, the elderly person, respond to you? What was mm. the what was the process, but the, the steps around that? The detail, yeah, I, it's it's quite <sighs> bemusing, I would say, in that the uh, my recollection of events at the time uh, was fairly sound, despite that detachment from what was going on. And so uh, we were playing drinking games with some friends at a campsite um, late into the evening, and. Um, 
unsurprisingly, because of the the things I mentioned earlier, I was the last one to bed. And I remember sort of people drifting off and going to sleep and and me grabbing a pillow and and wandering down uh, to the beach side to sort of just have a look at the stars and, and, and figure things out. Um, I think the figuring things out was was probably the beginning of the unraveling. Uh, I had a lot of racing thoughts. Um, I could feel this really euphoric uh, pressure in my chest and almost elation at sort of what was happening to me. And um, I, you know, started thinking that uh, I had, you know, spiritual powers. Uh, I thought I had the power of God. It was really becoming evident that 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 things were very unreal um and i thought i'd test these powers so i remember stripping down and 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 swimming um off the shore and and not getting very far because at the time i wasn't a very good swimmer and something twigged and i i came back to the shore but um you know flights of fancy my father died when i was four years old and I thought I could see him on the beach at that time and, and went looking for him. And then it occurred to me that I should get back together with my ex-girlfriend. And so went looking for her while naked and, and walked off the beach and, and onto the street. And the house that presented itself looked like some sort of test. I thought I could um, pass this test by, you know, performing athletic gestures. And I, I think at the time I, you know, I managed to, get the door open by ringing the bell and and then smashing a window. And unfortunately, um, the door was opened by this this poor elderly uh, person who was terrified um, and I thought was my ex-girlfriend in disguise. It was um, really, really hard. And this poor person said, you know, get away and had a hammer in their hand and um, swung at me and connected, but I wasn't really feeling anything at that point. And I think um, the blessing in disguise here was that it caused so much noise uh, and it was so evident that something was extremely wrong uh, that the neighbours heard and were able to tie me up um, you know, to a jeep and, and wait for the police to come. And uh, you know, reflecting on that incident isn't easy, but I think there are many stages sort of in this really troublesome night where I'm extremely lucky it wasn't worse. Like I could have drowned. I could have seriously hurt someone else. Um, I'm very fortunate to be where I am today. How did you, so at what point did, did you have sort of awareness or is it still kind of pieces of the night? You know, like are there parts of it that you still can't recollect? I think the, in terms of the recollection of the night, you know, I don't think there's, there's blurs. I, I will, I, I'm more than sure that my reality of that night is very different to perhaps what an outsider would have seen. And I think it took some time, you know, post, uh, sort of arrest and integration into the hospital to, um, piece together what had happened because um, while I was up here with, you know, uh, psychosis, I was still very manic once the psychosis had subsided and needed some very strong medication and support to even be able to come back down to, um, not bouncing off the ceiling. And so awareness 
piece together. It took a, a long time to sort of piece it together into the coherent, cogent narrative that I shared with you today. Um, and a lot of healing work. I think, uh, there was a certain um, amount of shame, um, that I carried with this, um, you know, on paper. It was a clear identifiable mental health incident. But uh, the reality is, you know, you've got to learn all these new things, what triggers are, um, how to get comfortable talking about it, um, how to talk about it in a way that's sensitive to all the people that were affected and involved at the time. And, and those lessons take decades, if I'm honest. Uh, and I consider myself, you know, one of the lucky ones in that, um, post that particular incident, there wasn't any other extreme examples of psychosis, um, that, that followed. And so, uh, being able to talk about it and help perhaps destigmatize, uh, these sort of things is probably one of the reasons why I take comfort in sharing the story in the detail I do. I'm, I'm glad you said that. And I guess, yeah, what I've seen from other people sharing stories is how cathartic it is and how it helps them, even though it might be a decade or two after their traumatic events, it still helps to piece together some, some part of themselves and help them become more, you know, fill in the blank, whole, settled, at peace, more themselves by sharing the story. And that's why we do this here. It, you know, that's why Kintsugi Heroes was born. And, and so it's great to hear you actually reflect that as you're part of your own personal integration. And with regards to going to the hospital, what was, what was that like for you? And how did it change, I guess, the, the, the other normal part of life? Because you're at university and you've obviously got family back, you know, some in another state. What, what, what happened there? It was a really bizarre experience. And I think, um, one is just the environment. You know, you're in this, um, hospital. It's not quite like a normal hospital. You know, there's, there's plastic cutlery. You're, um, really strictly scrutinized with your behavior and sort of what you do and don't do. And, um, it, environmentally it was, it's really bizarre. And then I guess, uh, colored against that was my own mental health and, and wellness in those immediate um, preceding days because I didn't know where I was for that first week. Um, my poor mother um, flew fr- from um, Victoria over to Western Australia in that first week to to see me, and um, because I was so unwell, I couldn't register. It was her, and I was tearing uh, the wallpaper off the walls and and talking about all sorts of nonsensical things and um for her to see that would have been extremely confronting and, and something that, um, you know, I sought to make amends for, uh, further on. But yeah, a really, uh, weird experience. And in some ways, unfortunate that social media hadn't really started then because the fallout from all these things going wrong could have been much worse. And I guess the other interesting thing about those initial few days that the rest of my life, so my law degree, you know, banking, my accommodation at the university college, they're all put on ice and without much explanation because um, for those first few weeks, I just wasn't fit to make any decisions around that or, um, uh, you know, take care of myself in that way. 
so once you finished at the hospital then, what was the next step for you? And how did you reintegrate back into the life that was on hold? Into the real world. I guess um, it was a, a much more protracted process than those uh, initial few months. But I think one of the things I learned from that time is that something was very wrong and that there was supports and systems available um, to try and help redress that. And so um, post-hospital, one of the things I was told sort of straight up was um, the biggest thing that leads to uh, events like this reoccurring is non-compliance with medication. And so I was always very studious at school. I'm like, got it. I don't want that ever to happen again. And in terms of um, taking medication and then finding the right medication combination, I was very uh, compliant and willing to go on the journey with both. Law, I, I, I tried returning to a, a couple of times. I postponed it. And then um, the following year, uh, went and tried studying law at a local university in Victoria and uh, lasted a semester. I still um, wasn't fully recovered from the experience. And the way I describe it is, um, say you broke your leg, there's a fairly staggered and sequential process for recovery, rehabilitation, um, and a fairly easy to estimate timeline of, of how long it is until you can walk again. With my mental health, we weren't sure how it happened, why it happened. Uh, we didn't know what medication could be used to help um, mitigate uh, the symptoms of the illness. And we had to figure all that out over a multi-year journey. And so um, it wasn't until a couple of years later that we found the right medicine combination uh, that I was able to really step it up and start functioning sort of what my idea of a normal human was again and um a lot of trial and error a lot of false starts uh you know i did a lot of temporary jobs uh, i lost the job uh because um the information about what happened at that time was released mistakenly uh it was a really hard experience and probably coloring all of that was becoming comfortable with it myself and more importantly being comfortable um navigating life and explaining my absence, uh, you know, with employers and friends and family. Well, um, so how, how long would you say your absence lasted for in terms of from, you know, everyday life? Yeah, I'd, I'd say probably 18 months um, because there was sort of this extreme drop-off and then it would probably took about another, you know, 6 to 12 months to get things on track and uh my family at the time uh were a small unit we're all incredibly supportive i've got a younger sister and for a little while there I, um i had to share a bedroom with my teenage sister because mum's apartment was was too small to handle us and i wasn't ready to move out by any stretch um and then you know learning to sort of do basic adult things again, like um, maintain a bank account, pay your bills, um, you know, earn enough money to be able to rent or, or live on your own. And um, I felt like I had got those skills in check by the time I'd got to university. And then it was a hard reset because um, just learning to function and, and piece together um, how to manage my mental health 
after that big um, event uh, was, was a work in progress. And um, if we fast forward to that 18 months later, I think we'd found the right um, medication combination. Uh, by then I was living on my own. And I think there was a part of me that goes, ah, this is what it was like a bit before. I'm not quite the same, but I think I've got my wits and everything about me uh, that I can continue um, to grow from here. And so that's what I did. Wow, 18 months. It's a long time. Yet do you feel that you came through and you were able to then redefine who you were or were you trying to capture who you were before and bring the same Luke to the world as before? Yeah, it's a really insightful question you've asked there, Avalyn, because I think for a very long time I was trying to recapture uh, the old Luke um, pre this incident and um, I moved through life in a way uh, that talked to and pointed to the ideas of navigating life how I did before. And I think it wasn't until yeah, I'd good 12 uh, or 15 years later where I started re-looking at things, the coping behaviours uh, that I was carrying going into Western Australia were there afterwards as well. And those coping behaviours are very understandable, um, but it took much longer to realise that they didn't serve me. And I think um, the drinking uh, was a way to numb what happened, you know, using other substances to help uh, build rapport with other people who maybe had had some trauma. And then I really threw myself into work as well, um, riding a bit of that manic energy that I may have had earlier. And all those things uh, needed a reinvestigation later when I was at the point um, to be comfortable with my own recovery that I could say, this no longer serves me. And um, I can look at you know the time I spent and the growth I went on um, say 10 years after that event and, and look at it with fond memories, but also look at it today and go, I can understand the man who, uh, you know, worked late hours and, and overperformed and, um, sought to people please, uh, wherever he could, uh, to be the social life of the party. I've now made peace with that journey. And taking the lessons uh, from it uh, that I've got today and can look at it and go, okay, that was a challenge that I had to navigate. I can understand why that challenge presented itself. I'm grateful it happened, but I don't have to live my life that way anymore. And so the life I live today, you know, um, I'm two and a half years sober, I, you know, uh, don't feel the need to um, pursue or chase or people please. And I would add uh, that the trauma that was building up um, and leading up to that detonation in Perth, instead of it being hidden or, or numbed, has been rigorously investigated 
um, and owned and worked through, you know, with the help of, you know, peer support and therapy and, um, a lot of self-awareness and self-reflection as well as, um, relying on something that's bigger than me. Sorry for the interruption. This is Ian Westmoreland, the founder of Kintsugi Heroes, and thank you for listening to this story from one of our amazing heroes. Our mission is for these stories to provide hope and inspiration to people experiencing life challenges and to also educate the broader community on how best to provide support. If you would like to help us continue to produce more hero stories and cover more adversity themes, we would welcome all donations. These can be made via our website, kitsukiheroes.com.au. The donate function is at the bottom of the homepage. We'd also welcome any feedback you can email me direct using ian at kintsugiheroes.com.au. Now let's get back to the story. Sounds like you've certainly, you know, had a lot to do and work with um, over the, the journey since you, I suppose, came out of the hospital and found a way to reinvent, you know, and yourself and, and find out who you want Luke Marshall to be. Um, you mentioned alcohol a few times and being the life of the party. Was that part of the persona of Luke? Was that you in your, in your teens, in your early 20s? Was that you? Yeah, 100%. I think um, in that late high school, I segued from uh, the school I was originally at to a scholarship to a new school and, and went through a mini reinvention that also uh, involved uh, introducing alcohol and, and being that life of the party. And post uh, the event and the hospitalization, I think uh, that behavior carried through. And I think one of the ways I could uh, prevent or, or prevent in talking marks um, uncomfortable questions about what happened or who I was um, was to be the entertainer and to um, overperform and be extremely social and uh, be very likable. And I think I can say some of these things with um, insight and not necessarily um, in a derogative way. I think these traits helped me survive and, and get through some really challenging experiences. But now I can look at some of them that push to excess and, and realize I'm comfortable uh, with who I am. I can be kind and social uh, without the need to um, redline it and, and, and be really comfortable with who I am and, and maintain balance. And so I, I do think the way I was sort of indulging um, for right or wrong helped get me through some challenging times. But now um, where I am today, it doesn't serve. And uh, for the foreseeable future, I don't see it coming back because um, there's just no longer a need there. And uh, I think my comfort and love for who I am um, transcends any need to sort of please others or, or numb what's, what's already inside here and good. That's really beautiful, Luke. You mentioned uh, trauma that you were you were numbing, you were <clears throat> hiding from yourself. Was that just part of 
you know, childhood. Can I ask it? Is, is that sort of a build up or is it a, an unknown thing that you just weren't really aware of? Uh, it definitely stemmed from childhood and I would say it was unknown uh, to me or perhaps the impacts that trauma had until much later or that I could be comfortable with myself enough to create the honesty I needed to, to look at that. Um, I mentioned my father, you know, died when I was four. He had his challenges, you know, with drugs and alcohol and, um, from a regional town and, uh, committed suicide, uh, when I was that age. And, you know, through a lot of digging and trauma work and with the right supports, um, I was able to find my story in that, which did involve um, being the one on on the scene when when Dad was found, and navigating that, and I think that memory or, or or feeling of the memory was buried for a very long time. And I remember sitting in the room uh, with a therapist that I, I really really appreciated, and she held the space. And I was going through. I can't remember. It just keeps popping up. But can't remember. And um, the therapist at the time asked, can you remember what it felt like at the time? I can still feel it today. It was liquid terror. I, I just felt absolutely terrified and frightened out of my mind and didn't know what was going on. And being honest about the feelings that little Luke had um, was a really strong turning point in my recovery and owning my story and helping piece together what happened later and making peace with it because I believe that incident and the knock-on impacts of navigating childhood after that and uh, the decisions that were made post were definitely the building blocks that led to that really scary incident in Perth and the numbing behaviour that I indulged in post because that trauma wasn't visited, looked at, and um, and healed. And when I think about that today and, and think about um, what little Luke went through, I, I always come from the perspective of, okay, well, what does he need today to um, feel supported and loved and um, to know that he's not alone? And that there's um, other parts and other people out there looking out for him and will continue uh, to do so no matter what. And I think part of my healing journey has been um, just whenever I feel that feeling that was, you know, very present back then or, or something that's internal that I think my inner child needs, I just tell myself I'm here for you no matter what. And that is an unassailable vow. Um, it, it goes deeper than anything I can explain. And I guess people that knew social party Luke and, and met him as an adult, um, they sort of ask, you know, would you ever go back to drinking? And it's really hard to convey, um, just how strong that vow is to myself and just how much little Luke needs me to look after myself today you you can't answer that in a sentence so um hopefully i did a little a, a better job of explaining it then yeah uh, i think you did 
brilliantly well. I, I fully felt exactly what you meant, or at least I felt it deep within me. It made perfect sense. And we all have the, the little child's versions of ourselves, whether we have acknowledged that or, or, or not. And we also, what your story has shown is how powerful a, a childhood trauma can be in framing, coloring, filtering, and directing our life uh, when it's not healed or, or be made aware or present um, at the time or, you know, back when. So, yes, it's, it's, it's a really powerful story. Um, what I was going to ask you, you know, what was the turning point of your healing? And you kind of said that just then. It was when you had the, the realisation of, of, of the memory and you got that. How did it make you feel after you had that that moment with the, the therapist and you had that recollection? Yeah, piecing together something that happened over multiple decades and saw um, ups and downs and, and sort of extreme incidents. Uh, the way I think about it and feel about it is uh, lots of pieces of a jigsaw um, that were getting put back together and then getting blown up again. And it was sort of trial and error to get that complete picture. And after that, I guess, um, turning point with the therapist and, and, and that part uh, clicking into place, I'd never felt more connected to who I am and my true self than I did then. It was a really illuminating moment in that things clicked and that I no longer felt that I needed to um, pretend to be something I'm not and that this power or, or sense of self that was inside me was uh, much, much stronger than I'd ever given credit before. And to be able to connect with that and, and let it inform uh, my understanding of my past and history but also that it can inform my future. Um, it was a really grounding and calming moment for me. And I'd say that feeling's never gone away. And if not, if, uh, I'd say it's probably gotten stronger over time as I honor it and um, treasure it and continue uh, to look after myself and lead a good life. And I love the way, the joy and the optimism with which you smile as you said that. It's just, it was, it's so powerful. I can feel it. It's awesome. Um, what have been the, the most pivotal elements of the journey out as in the healing and the recovery? What has helped you the most? What's helped you get to where you are today? The most obvious ones to me that have helped, uh, recovery and the journey um, would be my family first and foremost the immediate actions of my mother and sisters in particular um, yeah it, it's irreplaceable uh, the the journey for them at that pointy end uh, was in many ways much more tumultuous and hard on them because they were aware and I'm forever grateful for um, what they did in, in helping assist in getting me back on my feet. Um, I would say for all its, uh, challenges and flaws and my, I, I, I've experienced those too. 
um, the medical system did what it needed to in terms of um, at least helping prevent uh, something really bad happening again. And I had a good range of psychiatrists and psychologists uh, and peer support workers along the way um, that helped navigate uh, that recovery. I'd say my friends, um, the ones that have stood the test of time, and I, I have a good amount of them, uh, have been extremely supportive and sometimes have been better at saying what happened to me than what I could at the time. Oh, so you're unwell. And I was like, well, I can just say that. Like, I thought that I have to share all this other, you know, shame and all this story. And no, you were just unwell, Luke. Let it go. And so that's been really gratifying for me over time. And then later, I'd say recovery circles. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, uh, identify with a 12 step that helps address, um, childhood trauma and, uh, being able to share that experience in the safety of a room. Uh, with people who have come from, you know, other challenging backgrounds has been uh, a step change for me in sort of how I look at my story and get comfortable uh, with who I am and uh, will continue for, for years to come. It sounds like you've had an amazing amount of support. Uh, obviously, you, you needed the support, started off at the hospital and then it continued from there. How pivotal was it to have the love and support of your your mum and your sisters, in, especially in those early days. I I don't think I'd be alive today if it wasn't for that. And yeah, mum mortgaged her home, they gave me her room. Uh, my other sister uh, was so fiercely protective of looking after me, despite being younger, that um she was shouting people down and, and cutting them off, uh, even when I was in the wrong. Like I I just love them the bits for that and you know uh, we've grown up with our challenges but uh, you can't take that stuff back I'm so lucky and you know I've been um, around other peers who perhaps don't have that level of support um, or or, or have uh, more strained relationships with their family and I feel for them because without that it's very easy to slip back through the the cracks again and so um, yeah I just that's like that love is irreplaceable, and I'm so grateful that I got that at the time and and get, get that from them today. That's so beautiful. How has this whole journey of of what you've shared with me today? How has that shaped who you are today and how you serve the world, as in what you do, as a as, as a career, vacation, how you live? It'd be great to get some perspective on that and, sure. and hear about the yeah the impact on you. Mm. Um, it, it's definitely informed uh, everything I do and, and how I live as an adult. And I think there was a, a long period of um, getting comfortable with owning my story. Um, Ten years after the, the hospitalization, I, I sought to do that and, and wrote a, a book. I self-published a book about my experiences. And, um, at the time it was extremely cathartic. I, I really, you know, enjoyed, uh, writing about that and, and my experience in sort of navigating such, such an incident. And then I'd say how it informs, you know, uh, 10 years later again, uh, today is, uh, from a perspective of service. So, uh, I've had a relatively successful, 
um, marketing career and, and now I'm sort of more focused on how can we assist the not-for-profits? How can we use tech for good? Um, how can I give a service for the spare time I have and help others who are, who are right in it right now? And um, I look at it now and, and go, wow, look how far I've come and, and uh, how fortunate I am to be where I am today. I get an opportunity to help lift others up and I, I see it with the people I, I sort of connect with and, and help. And it might be, you know, just a kind word uh, incidentally along the way, but I'm always, um, consistently surprised uh, by sort of bits of feedback that get back to me later about, oh, I heard your story in this or, or thanks for that kind. Of, it just happens. And, um, as I look to the future, you know, I've got a, a, a partner now, um, new partner in the last year and we've got um you know twin boys on the way in april and i'm just i can't believe it because that um chance to to give uh fatherhood and and to to two boys and it's something that i missed out on you know i'm smart like i can't even convey the emotion that comes around that so i couldn't be more pumped i'm so happy for you luke Congratulations. Wow. And that, that'll be the start of another, you know, exciting chapter of your life. And I can only imagine what, what kind of parent you're going to be, right? Given what you've been through, uh, it couldn't, it, it's just going to be beautiful. I know. I know it already. I can foresee the future. And, um, yeah, well done. Well done on the journey and doing the work. You know, it, it clearly has not been easy for you it's it never is right the most rewarding journeys are never easy yeah 100 percent. i am a big fan of um uh, taking what works for you noticing it and, and then moving on and, and continuing to grow and i think uh in my younger years i'd be very focused on those external markers uh for growth and I'm not about that anymore these days. I think um, the only uh, person that I can hold to account is what's going on in the inside. And so if I'm acting from a place that's centred, calm, comes from a perspective of service and humility um, and love for myself, the rest takes care of itself. And, and wherever that goes, uh, I'm sure it'll be uh, delightful, challenging, engaging, but ultimately the most rewarding for me. Absolutely, it will. And look, as a fellow parent of twin boys, uh, if you ever need a, a piece of advice, you, you're welcome to reach out and ask me. Okay, I'm here. <laughs> I think um, it's not the first time I've heard this, Aveline. I think there's like a twin parent code where you have to help incoming parent <laughs> twins because, uh, yeah, there's definitely been a lot of unsolicited offers for help. Yeah, it and and you. Yeah, you'll find in some of the most, those moments after they arrive, you'll be like thinking, okay, which of those offers do I need to take advantage of right now? Because it can be, it's uncharted territory, shall I say. Fantastic. Look forward to it. Yeah, that's right. As we come to the end, Luke, uh, first of all, thank you. I just want to know my last question for you is if there's someone listening to this who can resonate with any part of your story who might be going through any of these challenges, whether it's the mental health, the trauma, psychosis, any anything that they can relate to because there's quite a few things in your story, is there something you'd like to say to them? 
yeah, if, if you've gone through some of that or, or, or it's resonating with you, I just want to say you're enough. You've done enough. You are loved. And that if you follow that thread and can feel that love, even in your darkest moments, it's going to help you. And notice that any feeling is temporary, but the need and desire to love and give back um, is in everyone. And I think if you can write it out, the benefit and the tangible, it, it gets so much better. I've been in that darkness and I'm here to tell you it gets so much better. So please stick it out for us. That's really powerful and very loving. Thank you, Luke. Wanna- but just again, thank you for sharing, being so vulnerable and open and giving of yourself today. I, I know that it's going to touch hearts and, and minds and, you know, provide inspiration and hope for, for those who are listening and watching. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me today. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Kintsugi Heroes. Please like and share the show to your friends so we can get this out to even more people. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, please reach out using the contact details below. And join us next week for our next hero's story. Until then, keep being you and remember that we are all heroes in our own unique way. Only when it's broken. Only when you're broken Only when